0: If you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 3. We're going to be in a uh, the book of John this morning, a famous passage, a well-known passage. But as we continue on in our Advent series this, this week, as we get closer and closer and closer to approaching Christmas Eve, which is when culturally we kind of Think about and celebrate the birth of Christ And then we have Christmas Day, the 25th Where we gather with family And we, uh, we um, exchange gifts And we have gatherings And some people have the tradition of having uh, a birthday cake for Jesus And they, uh, we, we celebrate and remember the birth of Christ uh, We've covered topics such as joy no, We haven't covered joy yet, jo- joy's coming We've covered peace, we've covered hope, we've covered the idea of being prepared and what's to come, and this week we're going to cover love, and if you ask the world today, what is Christmas about, this is a a pretty common response you'll hear is Christmas is about love. It's about love, it's about the love of friends and family and how you exchange and show that love to one another. And it just makes me curious if we really understand what love is as it pertains to God's Word and the events that transpired at Christmas time. Because see, love, I think, in the world today has lost any sense of significance in that word. we We use that word way too much for way too uh, unimportant things. We can use, The word we could say we love our spouse, or we could say that we love our children, or we could say that we love our house that we live in, or we could say that we love food, or we could say that we love a certain pair of socks, or pants, or shoes, or we could say that we love our car. We could say that we love a certain destination that we like to go to, whether it be the beach or the mountains or a lake or wherever. We, okay, we, we, we attribute the idea of love to so many things and yet in every single different circumstance, love doesn't actually mean the same thing there, does it? What, what might be uh, the idea of love might be just simply a fondness for. But we use this word love, and, and I do. I think love has become sort of a junk drawer word in our day and age where we can just kind of open up that drawer and throw whatever we want in there uh, and it mean and use the word love and, and it means something. Right? The Bible, though, has a different idea of love and what i don't want to happen anytime but especially as we're considering this idea of love at advent the advent of love what i don't want to happen is for us to read the bible in this framework that that the world experience that we have and the the cultural experiences that we have that that those are the definitions and and parameters in which we're reading god's word and I think if we're honest, that happens far too often than we would care to admit that we just kind of read what the Bible says and we take what we kind of experientially know in the world and we apply that to the Bible and say, well, this must be what it means. It's actually not how it works, that the Bible is written by God in a very specific way. And he uses very specific language. And so as we're thinking about and talking about and considering the advent of love, we want to consider the advent of love in the language that God uses in his word. So that we are not so careless to use the love of God as just another element in the drawer. Because it's not. The love of God, we we could spend hours and hours and days and days and still not have a full exposition of the love of God. But I'm going to try my best to give a piece this morning. So when we think about Advent, when we think about this idea of love come down, love has come, we want to slow down just a bit And think carefully about what that means. And as I I wrestled through this week and and this topic and these passages and and prayed, God, what do you want me to to communicate? What do you want me to say? I want to be careful to use your word in in a really specific way. What really came to me over and over and over again is, is simply this. There are three questions I want to ask you this morning. I want you to dwell on this morning. And we're going to try to answer those as best we can. But I don't have anything this morning that's incredibly deep. I don't have anything this morning that's incredibly profound necessarily. What, what I think has is, is happened in my own heart this week, and as I've read through this, and, and hopefully it will happen in your heart as well, is just a, a simple reminder of some, some things that we can forget A simple reminder of some things that as we get into the busyness of the season, we can can lose sight of. And so here are the questions I want to lay before us and then answer them. Number one is, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God loves you? The second question I want to ask and lay before us is this. Do you know how God loves you? Do you know how he loves you? And the third question I want to lay before us this morning is this. Do you know why God loves you? Do you know why God loves you? And, and let me just start by giving a definition of love so that we're all on the same page. I've used this before. You've probably heard it. But, but love as the Bible would define it, taking all of the different uh, categories that it uses, all the different words of love, and, and kind of merging them together. I think this is a great working definition of biblical love, that love is the unconditional, self-sacrificial commitment to the well-being of another. That's what I would define love as, as we understand it in God's Word. And so with that, with your Bibles open, look with me, John three sixteen famous passage that we see all over the world but do we really know what it's saying John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we pray with me this morning God we thank you for your love God, as we seek this morning to ask and answer these questions, may we be reminded of the love that you have for us. May we be encouraged of the love that you have for us. Father, may we be strengthened in the love that you have for us. And may we be strengthened in our love for you. God, I pray that you would just be with us now. Help us to glean the truth of your word. God, be with me. Let me not speak anything that would be of my own words, but may, may I speak the truth that you have put on my heart. God, use me as your mouthpiece, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you this morning. Listen, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first question is simply this. Do you know that God loves you? God loves you. Let me me put a little bit different emphasis on it. God loves you. Right there in the passage, it starts off, For God so loved the world... Now, it might seem a bit ridiculous. I mean, here we are gathered at church on Sunday morning. We're reading the Bible. We've just sang about these things. And now we're saying that God loves you. And I'm putting a lot of emphasis on that fact. You would say, well, of course I'm here, aren't I? But I want to just make this distinction because we live in a world today where there are so many different sources of love. That are pining for us. There are so many different sources in the world today that would offer us some sort of version of love as they would define it. But here in scripture, John writes that God, the creator of the entire universe, the the whole thing, the one who has put everything together, this almighty, infinite, holy God loves you. That's an important distinction. It's something to think about. And not only does he love you, but he loves you unconditionally. Unconditionally. Again, there are sources of love that we might find in this world, but those sources of love are going to come with some conditions. Those sources of love are going to come with some standards First. See, the way the world loves today is based on some sort of emotive, if you make me feel right or if you make me feel a certain way, then I'll reciprocate that love unto you and do to you what you've done to me. That's the way the world thinks of love. It's this, it's this mutual exchange of feelings and benefits. But you have to have felt it first. Before you reciprocate it, that's conditional, not unconditional. It's not the way the God that works. It's not the way He works. It's not His currency of love. In some cases, with the world, there's there's a really high standard to be met for you to be lovable. There are there are standards that that I have to be taken care of. My needs have to be met. My desires have to be known. I have to have this, this, and this all in order before I'm able to give love somewhere. It's not the way God works. He simply says, God so loved the world. His love, the currency of his love, is unconditional. There is no standard that must be met First, there is nothing that you have to do for God's love to be extended to you. And we think this way sometimes, don't we? Like like we think that, oh man, I've messed up. God's not going to love me anymore. Or or maybe we start to see a pattern in our lives of of sin and of failure and of letdown. And and it's not that we uh, are, are not believing in God anymore. We're not rejecting our faith. We've just stumbled upon some dark times, and we start to think and believe what the enemy would whisper to us is that, oh, God doesn't love you anymore. If you keep doing this, God's not going to love you anymore. If you keep going to that place, God's not loving you, right? We begin to lie to ourselves and believe the lie to ourselves that that I have to Do something in order to earn God's love. It's simply not true. God loves you unconditionally. Not only does he love you, not only do you have to not do anything to earn God's love, there is nothing that you can do that will remove God's love. As Matthew pointed out in Romans 8, there is nothing... Not a thing that you will experience in this world that will remove God's love from you. Not a thing. See, there's the enemy that is trying to trick us into thinking that if we've messed up, God doesn't love you anymore. You have to fix yourself. There's an old hymn that that says, come ye sinners, poor and needy. And, and there's a line in that, that hymn that says, if you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. We have no capacity to fix ourselves before we can start to experience God's love. If we let it be on our shoulders, we will never see it done. That's why God's love is unconditional. He loves us no matter what. Now, I want to preface this for a second. Don't think that God's unconditional love for you is a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to sin. Because that's what, that's what you'll hear today, right? Is Well, God is love. And, and I, the God I know is a loving God. And that's true. But God hates sin. The Bible is oh so clear on that fact. And for those that would continue to go repent, unrepentant of of their sin, the Bible says that one day that God will turn his love to wrath. And that sin will find them in hell. So, so don't fall into this this trap, don't dare believe the message of the world that would say, well, God is love and I believe that he loves me for who I am. Because if who you are, that is the life that you lead and live in, is defined by what the Bible clearly calls sin and there's a refusal to repent of that sin, then I've got news for you. You're destined for hell and for God's wrath. Oh, he loves you, but not in the way that you think. So don't use God's unconditional love as an excuse or justification to continue in a life of sin. Because that won't get you very far. But here's what's crazy. Even in that state, even in that sinful nature, God still loves you. And not only does he love you, but he initiates that love toward you. That's what we celebrate and think of at Christmas, the advent of love, the coming of love. Why does he do this? Because we would not do it first. In fact, we went the other way. Mankind rejected God, and he still loves us. And initiates towards us. So here's what I want you to hear this morning. God loves you. So simple. Yet so profound. Maybe you've fallen upon some hard times lately. And and you just need this reminder that God loves you. He loves you. There are other things in this world that will try to win you over with their love. And and listen, I promise you, it will never be like the love that God has for you. Because we're talking about the God of the universe. The one who has created everything by the the words of his mouth. The all-powerful, all-holy, all-glorious being. And he loves you. Psalms 8, the, the psalmist writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouths of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man That you are mindful of him. And the son of man that you care for him. Friend just know this morning that God loves you. And he cares for you. The second question we asked is. How does God love you? How does he love you? We would say self sacrificially. Look there again in 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. <clears throat> the word so here in the original language means in this way. Like you could read this passage in, in, in sort of saying this is the way that God loved the world, and I've heard this preached before, and I have preached this way before. That so here uh, could mean some sort of a measure or a metric, right? that we're going to try to attribute some sort of a value to God's love. The, but here's the problem: that that falls short because God is not seeking to measure up to anyone. God is the standard by which everything else measures up. You see the difference? So we can't say that, that so here is like, well, here's the measure of God's love in the world that falls short. What we have to say is this is the way that God has loved the world. And it's not to say that God's love isn't immeasurable. It's not to say that it isn't huge. It absolutely is. But it's not what John here is emphasizing. He's being very specific in what he's saying. And and, and here's why. We'll we'll see why. We read it like this. This is the way that God has loved the world. What is that way? The next phrase, he gave his only son. You see why we can't use an idea of it being measurable? Because that's not measuring anything. That's giving a specific reason that how of how god has loved the world romans 5 8 adds a little weight to it by saying that god has demonstrated he's demonstrated he's he's put on display he has showed us john would later write in his letter first john that god's love was made manifest manifest being something that is easy to see clearly so he says that God has demonstrated his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what has he done? How has he loved us? He has so loved the world. He has loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. Who is that son? Jesus the the one who we think about and celebrate the birth of at this season. It's Jesus Christ. And here John says that God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son. The word only in Greek is the word monogenes. And it means literally a unique or one of a kind person. That Jesus, the the Son of God, is one of a kind. There is no one like him. And and here's what's mind-blowing about this. Like, Jesus, God the Son, is the second person of the Trinity. Have you ever thought about this before? Like, God himself steps down, all-powerful, all-holy, Almighty, Colossians 1 tells us that by him everything was made and by him all things are sustained. Like you think about the world today as it is spinning in perfect orbit because Jesus is sustaining it that way. If we were like a half of a degree off towards the sun, we would burn. If we were away from the sun, we would freeze. Like it is amazing the way that the created world works, and it says that Jesus is sustaining all of that together. And it is this person, this Jesus, in his full divine glory, second person in the Godhead, looked upon us from heaven in our sinful and sorry state, and he determined that without the intercession of God on our behalf we would not have any salvation from our sin and we would be forever condemned to hell which we would rightly be justified in because it's what we chose and so what does he do Jesus sheds his glory he leaves heaven, he comes down as a baby, condescending from heaven to earth, from glory to stable, and he, uh, the Bible says that he puts on the flesh and blood of all of mankind. He was fully God as if he wasn't man at all, and he was fully man as if he wasn't God at all, and he says the, the, the God the Son lived a perfect and holy and sinless life, and eventually was crucified on the cross for the sins of all mankind. He has done this for you. And he's done this for me. So I want you to know this morning that God loves you. And not only does he love you. You want to know how he loves you. He loves you in this. Look at Jesus on the cross. That's how he has shown the how he loves you. First John 4, verse 10, uh, the writer says this, that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to to be the propitiation for our sins. How has God loved you? He sent Jesus. And, And that Jesus, who was God, went to the cross and died a death that we would not die for our sake. There's a, a passage in Isaiah. It's a fascinating passage. But in that, God is, is communicating, He's talking to the nation of Israel. And there's this, this great exchange where uh, He's he's proclaiming, the prophet Isaiah is, is proclaiming, proclaiming about the restoration of Israel, and the the things that will come, and the wonderful things that God is going to do in the day of their salvation. And Israel responds like this, starting in Isaiah 49, verse 14, it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. See, despite all of the wonderful promises that were to come, the nation of Israel is saying, God, we still feel like you don't love us. We still feel abandoned. We still feel forgotten. We still feel like there is something missing in our lives. And God responds in this way. It's it's absolutely wonderful. In verse 15, God responds, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And then he says this, and I I want us to hear this this morning. He says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Other versions might say tattooed you. It's actually not the image we're supposed to have, though. See, the Hebrew word for engraved here is a word that would indicate the necessity of something being chiseled into stone. Like, if you're going to engrave something here, you're going to need a chisel and a hammer to carve out something. That's the word that he uses here. So when he says to his people that he has engraved them on the palms of his hands, the word picture here is that his hands have been pierced for their sake. That engraved means that his hands with a chisel and a hammer were pierced. And and, and what we're meant to see here is is as if he's holding out his hands and saying, see, I won't forget you. Your name has been pierced into my hands. How could I forget you? You feel like you are not loved, but you are incredibly loved. Look how. I've pierced my hands for you. He's not forgotten them. He holds his hands out as evidence that God has not, forgotten them but that he loves them fast forward shortly after jesus resurrection he's appeared to the disciples a few times and there's one disciple who's who's just really wrestling with this uh, this concept of jesus being alive again because let's be honest dead people don't walk and talk right they saw what happened jesus Died on the cross. He was put into the ground. The stone was rolled in front. And now he's here before me. Like I can understand the doubts that Thomas had. Because it defies the laws of nature that they know. And yet Jesus is before Thomas. And what does he do? He holds out his hand. As evidence to say, I'm real. Look at the way I have loved you. Put your hands in the holes. Put your hands in my side. This is how God has loved us. His hands were pierced. So if you want to know the question, okay, you're saying God loves me, but, but how does he love me? He loves you in this way. He holds out his nail-scarred hands, which he said would be done long before it happened. He's engraved your name and my name in his hands. We just sang this not that long ago, right? My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. The advent of love is the fact that Jesus, the second Person of the Trinity, the holy God, came down in flesh and was crucified. He had his hands pierced for us to bear our sin and our shame as the only acceptable sacrifice that would appease God's wrath toward sin. That's how he's loved us. And the third question then that arises is if you have this wonderful thing that has happened, this God, this almighty, infinite, holy God who has loved us in such a way, why would he do such a thing? Why would God love us? Because I'm gonna be honest, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that are true about my life that are not lovely. There's a lot of things that are true about my life. That would that would cause me to balk at the idea. Of an unconditional and self-sacrificial kind of love. Why would anyone do that for me? I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. I'm certainly not going to earn it. So why? Why does God do that? because the English language is so lazy and it's cheap, we have this ability to take one word and apply a bunch of definitions to it and, and we expect the hearer to understand the context of what we're saying sometimes without even uh, uh, telling them what it is or explaining it to them, right? That's why I say love in the English language is a junk drawer word. That's why you can say, I love my wife and I love fajitas in the same sentence, and it works, right? That's a cheap and lazy way of communicating. God's word does not communicate this way. God's word is intentional, and it is clear. And so in both the, the Hebrew and the Greek, there are many words for love, and each word sort of has its own set of definition. And, and you know some of these. You've, if you've grown up in church, been around church for a while, you've heard these before. That In, in Greek, there's the word eros, right? And eros is a, a, a very physical attraction, sort of sexual type of love. It's a, a love that looks and touches. Or there's the, the word phileo, which is a sort of a special interest love, right? When you have a, an interest in someone or something and you show uh, affection Uh, of close association. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Not that there's some sort of romantic thing going on there, but we have a relationship, a phileo type of love with one another. And then there's the word agape. We're all familiar with the word agape. And this is a, a love that is not expressed simply by emotions, but by actions and deeds, Right? It's not just a, a sort of I love you because you make me feel good. It's a choice to love, right? Agape love. Well, the Hebrew language has similar type words. There's the word ahava, or the word raya, or the word dode. But perhaps my favorite, and and what I think fully encompasses the love of God as we're to read it and understand it, and and in this the, the New Testament time, the Jewish people would have known this word. They would have would have associated God with this word. It's the word hesed, the word hesed. And 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 Daryl Bach uh, wrote this about hesed. He said the Hebrew word hesed. Wrapping up in itself, wraps up in itself all the positive attributes of God. His love, His covenant faithfulness, and mercy, and grace, and kindness, and loyalty. In short, has said, is acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. See, love has said is a love of the will that despite what might be true or might be known to be true that to has said is to love anyway despite the fact that something might be seriously wrong if you are going to has said if you're going to love in that way you are going to will yourself to love. See, it's not just some sort of disposition of emotions. To Hesed love is to be fully encompassed in a state of being of love. This is who God is. God is Hesed, and God loves us. In hesed. Because see, hesed is also a love of action. If you're going to hesed love, you're going to need to prove it. You're going to need to show, right, that your love is authentic and real. That you mean what you say when you has said that's why it's associated with the the covenant language of the bible that god has made a covenant with his people right all the way back in exodus when he first establishes the covenant with the nation of israel that i will love you and i will be your god if you will keep my commands right that's has said he has made a covenant with his people and we've already, we've already discussed why and how God, or how God shows us his love. We're trying to answer the question, why? Why would God love us this way? The answer is because he is God. And God doesn't simply love. God is love. It's who he is. It's his nature. He can't help himself. God is love. It's not just something he does. He said also is a love that is again spoken in covenant language. So if I love you, I'm not going anywhere. His promise comes that he will never leave us or forsake us. God is love and God remains steadfast. Psalms says this, that your love endures forever. God is love. This is the God of the Bible. He's not just a loving person. He is love and it is out of his own will that he loves no one is forcing him to love you no one is demanding that he loves you again you've not earned it by any standard or any means and i haven't either but god still loves us why So that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in that love, whoever hopes in that love, is bound to that love, has peace in that love, has prepared their heart for that love, God will give them eternal life. God loves you this morning. He's loved you in a really specific way of sending his son because he is love. It's his very nature. The question I have for us this morning is how will you respond? I've walked with the Lord now for um, 15, 16 years. I've heard a lot of this stuff before and, and it's easy as we grow in Christ the more years that we walk with him to to hear something like this and go well well yeah sure of course can I just be honest with you for a minute I was up till two o'clock in the morning trying to figure out how to write this sermon because how do you communicate the the, the topic of God's love effectively? All week long, as i thought about my own life, my own struggles, my own hang-ups. It's been a busy week for me. We've got a lot accomplished in this room this this week. But as as I've considered this idea of God's love, and I've asked the question, God, why? Why would you love me? Because he is God and he is love. And and the the, the picture of um, the the engraved, pierced hands is a beautiful picture. Because, see, scars don't go away. I can show you mine. See that scar right there? That's you. You. I won't forget you. I love you. You can't take the topic of God's love in its full weight and it not affect you in some way. So here's what I want to challenge you this morning as we are just a few days away from christmas you've probably got some shopping to do i know i do and it'll be another busy week as we prepare for family coming in and things happening and our our schedule's getting full here's what i'm gonna prepare you, challenge you in stop and slow down and think about god's love for you this christmas season Think about the fact that the Holy God would come down and bear our sinful, gross flesh, and he would pierce his hands for you. I love the song that we, we sang it at my suggestion uh, The Love of God. the the last verse that we sang there, uh, we don't know who wrote it. It was a poem that was found in a prison cell some 200 years before the song was written. But it it simply says this, and it's a beautiful word picture that could we with ink the ocean fill? The the earth's surface is covered, about 70% of the earth's surface is covered by water. So we have, a, we have a lot of ocean to fill. But, but think with me in this word picture for just a minute. Could we with ink the ocean filled? It's a lot of ink. And were the skies of parchment made? That is paper. And you go out and you look. The skies, what is true about the skies? They go on infinitely, right? Everywhere you look up, there are skies. So here we have a massive jar of ink and we have a massive roll of paper could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made where every stalk every tree every plant every bush where every stalk on earth a quill it's a writing instrument and every man a scribe by trade you know what a scribe does in the bible a scribe records with accurate detail what is to be written and recorded and made record of. A scribe gets it right every single time. So much to the point that if a scribe does not carefully draw, the specific dot or tittle that is in their language, he scraps the whole thing and he throws it away. Like there's no whiteout when it comes to being a scribe. You write with absolute precision. That is what the songwriter says is the occupation of every single man. So here we have a vat of ink, infinite parchment, and professional writers. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. We would run out of ink. And although that the parchment, the scroll, the skies go on for for it seems like eternity, they're infinite, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure it shall forevermore endure. This is the advent of love. It's not some sort of cheap understanding. It is a very specific. God has loved you in this way. How Will you respond to that love? Will you pray with me? Gotta thank you for your love. I don't know why you would love me God I'm a sinner Paul claims that he's the chief among sinners I think I've got him beat and yet you love me and you initiated that love towards me and you gave your life as the ultimate sacrifice and show of love. God, I pray this morning that you would burn into our hearts the truth of that love, that we would not leave this morning uh, unchanged by that fact. God, that we would be willing to give our lives and our all to this love that you have called us to. God, that we would not sell ourselves short of the fellowship that we can have within the body of Christ where we we express that love one to another every day. God, help us to see and know the full weight of, of the love that you have for us. God as we near every so quickly to, the, to, to, the, to Christmas. God to Christmas Eve and then to Christmas Day. May we take a minute to pause. And reflect on the way in which you have loved us. Where you have sent your son down to us. God, I pray that you would help us to um, share this love with others. Maybe this Christmas, the best gift we can give someone is not some sort of device or toy or material thing. The best gift that we could give someone is to tell them about this incredible Amazing love in which you have loved us and the way our life has been changed and they can experience the same thing. Father, we love you. We give our lives to you. We place you as the center of this church. You are our Lord and our master and our king We serve you with joy and with happiness. Not out of obligation, but out of desire. Because who else would love us in this way? We thank you. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.